This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. really uh, fun picture that I have for this particular uh, episode that I'm excited to uh, share with you. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure. Oh, there it is. Uh, isn't that guy, uh, he's, he's in a suit with a barbell on his back. Isn't that great? That's oomph. Uh, oomph is one of those words that I use. There's certain words that I use, like this is a doozy message. Doozy is one of my words. Like oomph is another. I like words like that. They're it's, it's an automatopoeia in the sense that its meaning is the same as its sound. If you were to, like, if I threw a big sack of grain at you and you caught it, you'd go oomph, right? It's, it's just sort of the sound of hard work. Uh, it's the sound of uh, strenuous labor and givenness. I like it. Oomph. You know what Christianity needs today? Oomph. You know what we as individual Christians need right now, this morning? Oomph. You see, you can hear truth, and it can be there, and you can acknowledge it, you could nod along, but you need to engage with it. You need to rise up and say, let's do this. That step forward in the soul is so critical, I cannot even put a value to it. It is, it is off the charts significant in the Christian experience, because so many of us hear, but don't do. And the doing is what I'm going to call today the oomph. Oomph. Isn't it funny to define a word like that? Extreme exertion, energy for the task, excitement to expend, eagerness to get a thing done, full givenness to see something through. Have you ever had it where you have a task in front of you and you do not have this thing called oomph? And what, what's there instead? Oh, it's a groan. It's a grumble. It's a complaint. It's a little self-pity that starts to creep in around the edges. Why me? That attitude will kill you. Practically in life, there is not one business owner that is looking for a good worker that doesn't have this, that has the opposite, the grumble, the complain, the self-pity. No one wants to hire that. What we want is someone with oomph. And the same thing in the kingdom of heaven. You see, this is God's design. He is looking for those that are eager, that are ready to serve. And yet when we transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son... We have to agree with the kingdom pattern. We have to recognize that it means a daily dying, that it means a forsaking of an earthly pattern, that it means giving up certain comforts and privileges that might exist in the human state, but in the superhuman state, if I could call Christianity that, the one that has relinquished its atomness and has claimed Christ's heritage, that has been grafted into the work of the divine, we give up the earthly in exchange for something better. Now, when you first receive that something better, it doesn't always seem better because you have a tendency to look back. Remember the leeks and onions that the Egyptians looked back on in Egypt? Now, for, for those of us in here, that is not a sales pitch to go back to Egypt. Leeks and onions. I don't even really know what 
a leak is, but it doesn't sound good at all, okay? A leak is just something bad. And so a leak in an onion just sounds disgusting, like, to me. I'm not, I don't mind an onion if it's tastefully sautéed and stuck gently into my food, you know, just with, like, a little minced version of it. But a big chunk of it, no, okay? We, so leeks and onions doesn't work on me. Milk uh, and honey, you know, that one, that sounds better to me, even though it's still, you know, some of the illustrations given in Scripture are a little odd uh, to Eric Ludi, but I'm sure they worked well uh, for Israel. But the Egyptians had something that they looked back on, and that when they faced a trial in the wilderness in their forward movement, it caused their leeks and onions to look very attractive to them. The same thing is true with us. As we move forward in the kingdom of heaven, we have a tendency to look back on different things that we have already forsaken and given up, and they become ultra attractive to us. Many of us set up camp near the Red Sea portion of the wilderness, as opposed to the promised land portion, where we're staring longingly into Egypt instead of into the promised land. What I want for all of us isn't just to stare into the promised land longingly today, and to give up staring into Egypt, but I want us to enter into the promised land and to take the territory that belongs to us as the heirs of promise. We are the church of Jesus Christ. This was given for us. And so I want us to move forward our camp. So many of us have a tendency to long and look backward instead of to move forward into the kingdom of heaven. We live in a world that has a magnetism to it. And ironically, most of what has happened in the world, like for me, it deeply disturbs me. I mean, I look around and I'm like, what has happened to the world? It is getting worse by the day. And yet there's still qualities in the world that will woo Eric Ludi. But I'm not going to go after the things that are so obvious. It's the subtleties like comfort and ease and materialism. It's like, well, you know, that would be nice to have. And there's a subtle wooing to leeks and onions, even though I wouldn't call it that in my life. It'd be, it'd be like uh, chocolate shakes and root beer. Uh, A&W root beer out of the draft and chocolate shakes. Now that's, now that's something. If that was over in Egypt, now that would be attractive. Leeks and onions, who wants that? There's some of you in here that are deeply offended. You love leeks and onions, so you can't figure out what's wrong with me. Hebrews 5, 10 through 14. This is going to seem a little strange, sort of like, what does this have to do with anything? Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Oh, no. The church has become dull of hearing? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Oh, no. We're going in the wrong direction, guys. We're supposed to be growing up, not headed back towards Egypt. We're supposed to be headed in a different direction. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Listen to this line. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So this church that is, this is being written to actually is growing dull of hearing. They are still needing baby food instead of adult food because they have not progressed. Remember how I started and I said, here's Egypt, and then here's the escape from Egypt, and then we have the, the wilderness, and the promised land's over here. But instead of 
looking longingly into what God has for them and progressing towards that. They're looking longingly into what they gave up. And they're not exercising their senses. There is something about the exercise of the kingdom truths that is of the utmost importance for the maturing process. So those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I'm just going to be blunt honest that we are very vulnerable right now in modern Christianity to deceiving ourselves. Because we have more access to truth than most people in all of world history have had. And we think that by the fact that we know it intellectually, that we are somehow doing it practically. Now here's the other snag that we have. Some of us have done it practically, but have migrated subtly away from the doing to just the esteeming again. And therefore, we have a tendency to look at the season of our life where we did do it and count that as sort of a blanket covering of the fact that we're, yeah, we may not be doing it now, but hey, well, you know, let's not be so particular about this. And I'm saying that is, by definition, scripturally, deceiving ourselves. When we are hearers and not doers, we are running the risk of deceiving ourselves into thinking we are doers when in actuality we're not. So my family is in the process of moving. And I don't know how many of you get excited about moving. Uh, it is definitely a unique challenge and weight. And, but it always brings up this one interesting illustration. And it also shows something in the human psyche. It's like having a baby. When you when you're esteeming having a baby, you're like, oh, and when I have that baby, I will love that baby. I will be willing to wake up in the night and feed that baby. And I don't care what mess they make in their diaper, I will gladly and cheerfully change that diaper. I will always be singing and humming to myself because it will be so beautiful. It'll be a baby. And that's the way we have a tendency to also look at other things in our life. I don't know how many of you have ever gone through that, uh, that romanticism of like suffering for Jesus. Like if I ever get thrown into a concentration camp because of my faith in Christ, I will rejoice. And yet here you're having a little challenge in your soul today that is, you know, one, one millionth of the, the, the difficulty and you're complaining and grumbling. And we train for the harder moments by tackling the small moments with joy and rejoicing. Moving, just like packing for a trip. I don't know if you guys have ever heard me talk about packing for a trip. It has a tendency to touch on something in me that I'm not overly uh, excited to have touched. And that is a grumble and a frustration that can very easily get there. If, if my work crew is not working as I think they ought to, I can get upset, right? And my temper can rise and I can get frustrated. If things are, that are getting moved, like... It, when I'm finding things that I didn't know were there, like extra stuff hidden behind a box, you know, and we don't have room for it, stress, frustration, you see, this is just all part of moving. And I'm going to liken moving to dealing with deeper challenges in our life. We don't like challenge. We want all challenge gone. We want life to be easy. Let's just be honest about it. And so when we run into a challenge, and it's not always our challenge, it could be someone else's challenge. Well, I don't want to deal with someone else's challenge. And yet we're part of a body, which means we carry each other's burdens. 
So you have a challenge and it's always like something really heavy in someone else's basement. And you know, because you're in the church, they're like, hey, could you come over and help me move something? You ever had that? There's a few young guys in here like, whoa, is he, was he reading my mind? This is exactly what I was thinking. But they have something. It's like the grand piano from great grandma, you know, that's down. In, and you know, old furniture is the heaviest stuff on earth. You ever seen that stuff? You know, the, the newer furniture, I don't know if they, they put different things like aluminum in the, in the core or something, but the old stuff literally is backbreaking. And so you're coming up with excuses of why, you, you know, you can't make it over. It's like, oh, yeah, I wish I could have helped. But have you ever had it where, you know, you're, you're moving all day and then someone shows up right at the end. It's like, hey, can I help? And you're just closing the moving van. It's like, yeah, thanks, bud. And you sort of wonder, was that purposeful? Wait a minute here. Because there's part of you that understands the delay that you might need to stop and get some gas. And maybe while you're here, you could swing by Starbucks. You know, and the way it's, it's you know, and then by the time you get there, it's like, oh, they're closing the moving van. Oh, that's too bad. The big move tests us. It proves something in us. Now, that big move is, you know, could have a lot of different variants and different expressions in our life, but it's the different things that test to see if we're going to respond with joy, if we're going to say, absolutely. Yeah, let me help you with that. Oh, you got a baby grand piano down in your, your basement from grandma? I would love to help with that. You see, there is a very opposite response that God wants to begin to cultivate in our life of how we gravitate towards these difficulties. So imagine that this was like, uh, came in the, the mail or in the, your email inbox. Dear church family, we are cor all cordially invited to come to our big moving event at the church at Ellerslie this upcoming Saturday. Dress in work clothes and prepare to break a sweat. We've got some serious work to accomplish. This church could change the world for Jesus Christ if we all actually do this. Hope to see you there. Now, I'm not talking about a real move. I'm not talking about moving furniture. I'm talking about moving heavenly obstacles, like spiritual obstacles. Like the devil plants himself in the middle of our path and we have a moving project. There are things locked in the souls, deep set in the souls, like boulders in the souls of different people in this church. And guess what? What if we were to have a moving day? Let's get this thing out of here. This is Christianity and it's hard work. When you hear the word prayer, most of you don't think of hard work because it isn't a big deal in your life. It's just like, yeah, you, you sit around a table and you pray for a meal. And it takes, you know, maybe 15, 20 seconds. It's not that hard. I didn't break a sweat. But that's not real prayer. I'm not saying it doesn't count or it's not nice to show thanks to God for a meal. But that isn't what changes the world. Prayer that changes the world breaks a spiritual sweat. And it is hard work. And anyone that is engaged in it could tell you that. The hardest thing they've ever done in life is to pray and then to pray, and then to keep praying, and to not give up praying, even though everything in the natural realm is saying, give up, Eric, give up, Eric, give up, Eric. No, I will not give up. That takes an exertion that isn't human, by the way. It is digging into a well of spiritual drive that comes from heaven. You have to learn how to dig into God's pockets to get this done. God has the supply, but you have to go after it. So imagine we had a moving day. We're like, okay, we're going to start moving the devil out of the way. He stuck a whole bunch of junk in the way of our church. Let's take care of it. Saturday, get your work clothes on. Saturday cometh. Just sounds spiritual. 
recognizing the five different sorts of workers in the body of Christ. So as I go through this, you're going to recognize that you fall, maybe not nicely into one category, because we, we go from category to category depending on what we feel is our competence and our, our enjoyment value with it. Like there's certain job descriptions just even on a, a campus like this, you know, we have some different framing things, we have some landscaping, we have hauling, we have making things decoratively look beautiful. And there's different things that if we brought it up, you're like, oh yeah, and you'd have energy for it. And then there's other things like, oh yeah, you know, I gotta, gotta pull the muscle in my leg. And in other words, we don't always gravitate equally to every task, but we want to be the same always. So you, you could be a blend, <clears throat> depending on what the task is, come Saturday. So here's five different sorts. First, I'm gonna divide out the hearers. And the, the other subcategory, you know, three through five is the doers. So there's those that hear and those that do. Everyone hears the invitation to come and work, right? So we have the first one is the no-show talkers. And, you know, they, they just, they're not going to show. They make some, you know, grand notice about it. It's like, oh, yeah, I wish I could. And they, they have all their statements. They're really good at dishing out those statements. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called, alligator hands, crocodile fingers. I don't remember what it is where you're, you're at a, uh, you know, you, you go out to lunch. It's a business lunch uh, term where you go out to lunch with, you know, the, another guy. And then at the end, you know, the, the, the bill is put in the table and one guy is like, oh, I wish I could grab that. And the other guy's like, I'll take care of this. Like, oh boy, I wish my hands were longer. It's, I think it's called alligator hands or, or crocodile fingers, not sure which one. But that's the same thing. Oh, I wish I could help, but oh, it's just not working out. Number two, the stand around and stare attendees. They're there, but they don't work. They stand around and stare. And they have their excuses of how they're distracted with this, their phone, you know, they have some message on their phone. And they're always disengaged. They're never at the level of sweat. And then we have the doers, but we have different gradients of doers. Number three, the small effort with big excuses workers. Well, it's like, I, I can't really do that, you know, for this reason or this reason or this reason. Or how about four, the I prefer light boxes workers. Well, I don't know who on earth doesn't prefer light boxes. You know, I think that should just go without saying. Everyone prefers it. But some of you in here know exactly what I mean, but there's certain ones of you, because of your work ethic, you always get the heavy box. And that's a good quality. But the other side of it is I don't want you to allow someone always to get the heavy box. I want you to consider the heavier box. Number five, the let's do some heavy lifting workers. This is what the body of Christ is intended to be make, made up of. Let's do this, guys. You see, God has shared his grace with all of us. And if we would cultivate it, we would cultivate oomph in all of our souls. James 4, 17. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's a fascinating statement to bring up in light of like the moving project. If you knew that praying and praying and praying would move the devil out of his position that is blocking the road, if you knew that exerting yourself in forceful, persistent, consistent praying would address the issues in your life and remove them out of the way, and yet you don't do it? What is that? I know what it says on the screen. It says it is sin. That is an odd thing to ponder, to realize that we as the church have been given a trust. We've been given an assignment. We've been given a task. God says, submit 
to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Well, what are you doing about it? See, we have truth, but are we just hearing it or are we activating it? Are we actually engaging in this world in the manner that we know to engage? We have a devil who is defeated. Greater is he who is in us than he that's in this world. If God be for us, who can stand against us? And God says, pray. Persistently pray. Like this neighbor who needs bread, he goes to his neighbor's house and knocks. And then he knocks, and then he keeps knocking, and he knocks, and he knocks, and he knocks, and he knocks, and he knocks. Until that neighbor gets up and gives it to him and says, that's the way I want you to address me. And when you do, you will get the bread. Guaranteed. Like that widow that's going to tug on the judge's shirt sleeve over and over and over again, begging for her case to be considered. And then finally the judge gets so irritated, he's like, oh, what do you need? I'll give it to you. He says, like that, that's the way I want you to address me. And all of us are like, that sounds so rude. It's God himself asking us to do it. He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. You know what you ought to do. I could say it this way. I know what I ought to do. That doesn't mean I'm always doing it. And so this message is just as much for me as it is for you. It is an engagement to not come up with an excuse, but to be ready to roll up the shirt sleeves of my, or my, my, my sleeves and say with my soul that I am ready to do what God has assigned me to do without excuse. Riding the razor's edge of deception. Yes, you used to do some heavy lifting, but the fact that you once did doesn't equate to current doing. So I have seasons in my life where I am really in shape, and I have seasons in my life where I'm not really in shape. It's, it's strange how you can have seasons like that. And yet, when I'm not in shape, I have to be honest with myself that I'm not living with the priority the same way as I did have when I was in shape. And the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. That we don't deceive ourselves that we're in shape because we once were in shape. We always want to have a correct assessment of where we currently stand. All right, Lord, I'm not in shape right now. So, let's do this thing. It's time to get in shape. A good father versus a father with a thousand excuses. And this is like practical application for me. Now, any other father in here, you could take it too. But you could have a season where you are very attentive to your kids' needs, where you're giving individual attention to your kids, you're listening to your kids, you're praying diligently for your kids early in the morning, you're writing notes to your kids, you have all sorts of special additives because you're in a season of strength. You're in shape as a father. And then someone comes up to you when you've sort of lost your physical fitness and you're getting a little round around the middle, and they're like, so, you know, you're such a good father, uh, and... You see, you're out of shape, and you know it, but you oftentimes don't want to acknowledge it. And so for me, as a father, I want to stay in shape. And when I get that, that sensitivity to my, in my spirit, man, that I am letting something go that should be tended to aggressively, it's like prayer. If I know the devil's sitting in the way, what am I going to do about it? Just go, yeah, I guess he's going to sit there for a while. Because I just don't have the energy to knock him out of the way. We have an assignment as the church of Jesus Christ. As an individual, I have an assignment. As a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a leader of a ministry. And if the devil is sitting in the way and in the path and he's blocking it, 
It's time to do some heavy lifting. As individuals, you have the same assignment. It's just not the same things. You might have just your individual life, your thought life, your soul, your spiritual state. You need to tend to. The devil's sitting in the way, blocking the path. Get him out of the way in the authority of Jesus Christ. Submit to God. Resist that devil. He will move out of the way. Like that neighbor that comes and knocks, 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 knocks. Like that widow that tugs, 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 tugs. You get your game on. There is a rousing of the soul that is essential to Christian growth. It's time to play this game right. So here's our Greek word, spudazo. It's sort of a fun word. It sounds a little Italian, doesn't it? Sort of like spumante or something like that. I don't even know what spumante is. Is that an ice cream? Uh, but it sounds Italian. That's all I can say. I'm going to look over at the, uh, the Coleman's. You guys are Italian, right? Is spumante an ice cream? No? Okay. Uh, I don't know where spumante came from, but uh, it sounds Italian. And so does spuda spudazzo. Of course, if you're Italian, you're like, that doesn't sound uh, Italian at all. Uh, but it does to me, spudazzo. I mean, it sounds like a noodle, maybe. Uh, a noodle dish? How about that? But this is what it means. To supply diligence effort to exert oneself. You know what we could call that? Oomph. This is an actual Greek word. This is something we're commissioned to do in Scripture, is to actually exert ourselves to supply spudazo to the situation. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10. Now, this is interesting because this word for diligence is spudazo, and you'll see that it's essential to Christian growth and maturity. Giving all diligence or supplying all spudazo or giving oomph to your spiritual man Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, it's a conclusive statement, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Give even more spadazzo to the situation to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Spadazzo. So here's sort of the Eric pedestrian uh, edition. To do it. Really do it. I don't know if you've ever had this where you esteem ideas of what you could do in your spiritual life or what you could do in your parenting, what you could do in your marriage. And there's a difference between having a good idea and doing it. And what I want us to all freshly resolve to do is let's do it. You know that great idea you have? Do it. Well, but, no, no, no well buts. Do it. So to do it, to really do it, to show up on moving day, roll up your sleeves, grit your soul's teeth, and say, let's do some heavy lifting. What needs to be moved? And then what do you find out? A dead elephant carcass is underneath the stage? And then what do you say? No problem. Let's do it. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to move a dead elephant carcass. I never have. It just sounds like a really heavy, awkward, smelly thing. And if there was ever a reason for you to go, oh, you know, I pulled a hamstring, or, or that would be a good one, right? A dead elephant carcass. I'm sure it's crawling with all sorts of yuck stuff, you know, that's, you know, it would crawl all over you too. But the smell is bad, that 
How about the texture? Could you imagine the slimy texture and what that's gonna be like to try and get a, you know, a handle on that? Okay, so for whatever reason, it's under the stage, which is not that easy. That means we need to remove the stage. We're wondering what the stink in the church is, right? Well, there it is. We're all showing up on Saturday. What are we gonna do? And it's interesting because there's some of you in here that are so used to having someone else do it that you might not even think of involving yourself in it. As opposed to being the one that says, and, but there's others in here, and I could even name names. We have some great workers in here that when they see something that needs to be done, they just are on it. And what we need is to learn from each other on this because it's not just natural physical work, it's spiritual work that we're being called to here. And it's hard work. Some of the spiritual things that I get assigned to deal with I look around, I, I do this, I look around in my life, I'm thinking, who else could I put this on? Because delegation is part of leadership, and so it's a great part of leadership, right? And you're looking around going, who in the world could carry this one? I got a dead elephant carcass under the stage. And you know what? Almost every time I get those really stinky problems, I know where they, they land. They land right here. Eric, this is your job. God, I sort of like pulled a hamstring last night. I'm like not at my best. This is our job. As individuals, we need to rise up and do what we've been assigned. So what needs to be moved? A dead elephant carcass underneath the stage? No problem. Let's do it. You might not have a clue how you're going to do it. How in the world are you going to get that thing out of here? I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him, speaking of Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. How are you going to get that dead elephant carcass out? Well, there's your secret right there. This is how you're going to accomplish your tasks. And they did not love their lives to the death. Now, I actually really like the NIV, which is what, what I grew up with in this translation. I've always referenced it. And so I'm going to say it now because it says it so much better than they did not love their lives to the death, which technically doesn't make a lot of sense in my brain. This one does. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I like that. You see, if you had a dead elephant carcass under the stage and we lift the stage off and that smell wafts towards you, what are you going to do? Probably shrink from death. <laughs> You're going to find an excuse to go outside and get some fresh air. But this needs to be addressed. What are we going to do, guys? And so when you're doing the work of the king, you go straight at the difficult problem. You walk right in and say, let's deal with this. Shrinking from death, or in this case, the dead elephant carcass. That involves dying to self, but you're not that excited about dying to self. And so you'd sort of like to nix that. Hard work, ah, that doesn't ever you know, translate very well. Uh, effort, challenge, whether it be mental, physical, relational, financial, or practical challenge. Have you ever had those seasons where you just want to turn off anything in your life that is at all difficult? You just want to break from it. You want to have an easier existence, and you're being baited by self-pity to self-preserve, to self-protect. However, everything in Christianity is you do not love your life so much that you shrink back. You will not shrink back. This is what we have grace to do, is to move forward and to do the hard things in our life. Ian e. Bounds says it this way, the superficial prayer subsides into silence when the answer is delayed, but a man of prayer hangs on 
and on. Isn't that a great statement? It could be hard. It could be difficult. It could smell really bad. However, you serve a God who answers prayers. What is he looking for? Well, he's looking for faith, and he's looking for persistence. I've oftentimes said that what you oftentimes describe as an unanswered prayer is a prayer where you set down your instrument of faith, your praying. You gave up on praying. God didn't give up on answering. And so what looks like an unanswered prayer is a neighbor that stopped knocking. What looks like unanswered prayer is a widow that stopped tugging on the judge's shirt sleeve. And God's like saying, now remember my model. Remember what I told you to do. You pray, and 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 you pray, until, until it breaks through. I've used the illustration many times of if God told us that there was a treasure of inestimable worth right beneath our feet, and he handed us a shovel, what would we do? There isn't one kid on earth that wouldn't start digging. And yet we as adults are, well, you know, that could be really hard. We don't, he didn't say how deep, and that's true. He didn't say how deep, which is one of our problems. So we dig a couple scoopfuls, and we don't find it. We're like, well, God obviously doesn't seem to want to give me that treasure. God said there's a treasure beneath your feet. He gave you the tool to go after it, and he said it is guaranteed to be there. If you ask, you will find. Go after it. But what we have is a church full of two to three shovelful Christians that exert themselves just to a degree to test the situation, and then they draw back and they shrink back from the difficulty and the sweat-inducing labor of prayer. This is the hour for us to exert. The devil is sitting in the path, blocking the way for the church of Jesus Christ. He's mocking us and holding us in contempt. I want to shut him up. He's defeated. He has nothing to say here. This is God's territory. God is triumphant. Last time I checked, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and all things are beneath his feet. So we have been given everything we need to win this battle. What are we doing with it? What I don't want to do is stand around, you know, and hum and, you know, he and haw about all of our pulled hamstrings. I want us to get a job done. I want to get a job done in my own soul, in my own family, in my own marriage, and I want you guys to do the same. I want us to take this responsibility seriously. The superficial prayer subsides into silence when the answer is delayed, but a man of prayer hangs on and on. Prayer is hard labor, but it is a labor for which you and I have been supplied sufficient grace. So yes, it's hard, but guess what? You've been, gra- been given grace for that hard. Yes, it's difficult, but you've been supplied everything you need for the difficult. So what was your excuse again? Every one of us is prone to human thinking in regards to these things, self-preserving thinking. We are wired to shrink back from death. It's just how it goes. If, if someone is shooting a bullet at you, what would you do? You would dodge it. And so we're going to shrink back from it, right? It's just how human, humanity works. We have been assigned a task that leads us straight into the jowls of difficulty. Everything about Christianity, though modern Christianity would try and tell you otherwise, everything about Christianity has led people to their death. When you follow Jesus, you follow him to a cross. 
You pick up your cross and follow. And by the way, a cross is an execution device, which means the very advent, the very first steps forward are giving up your life, your rights, your comforts, the way you wish it would be. Jesus Christ rules this life. And he gives you ample supply of everything you need. It's sufficient for every challenge you could ever face. That word sufficient that Paul is going to use when it says my, that when, Paul, when God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you in the midst of his thorn in the flesh, that concept is so grand. It would be like a fish in the ocean wondering if there's going to be enough water for them to swim in. Are they, going to, are they not going to have enough water in the ocean? And God's saying, oh, little fishy, my ocean water will be sufficient for you. That is how grand the supply is. You have more than you need if you will engage and be a doer instead of just a hearer. Step forward and discover the grace and the power of God. I can't tell you how many Christians complain about not knowing the intimate grace of God when they're not even walking in obedience. They're like, if God would just meet me here in my disobedience and wash me over with his presence and his intimate power, then I would believe him and move forward. Instead of you wanna know the intimate presence of God, step, believe, activate, and do what God has asked you to do. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Isn't that funny how we, we think it's very strange that it's difficult? If you think about all the romantic things that we can, you know, we look at our heroes of the faith, everything they chose to do added difficulty to their life. So, I mean, it doesn't matter who we choose. Let's, let's choose Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael leaves home, family. She was very close to her mom. She says goodbye, expecting to never see her again. And she heads, I mean, she originally headed to Japan and then came back. She was sick. She needed special care. Her doctors even said, don't do this. And so she's going to leave her chief helper, which would have been her mom. I mean, think about that if you're a young girl, 18 to 20 years old, and you're struggling with physical ailments already, and you're going to leave house and home? She isn't choosing something easier. And she goes to India, and then she could just mind her own business and be a normal missionary. Like just, you know, work her way into people's lives and come up with, you know, opportunities to share Jesus. But she finds these girls being sold into temple prostitution. And what I want to say to her in the human side is, Amy, no, no, no. Mind your own business. This isn't what we touch. This is a cultural thing. You don't want to get involved. And yet she can't help herself. She has to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So she begins to rescue these girls. And she turns this culture on its head. She is hated even by the missionaries that are there. This hero that I would look at and say, okay, one of the greatest women ever, right? Right there. This woman kept making choices that made her life more and more difficult. And that's why I esteem her. It's not because she lived an easy life. It's because she took on the system. The enemy was sitting in the middle of the road and she says, you're going to move. And the devil says, make me. She goes, all right. And she rolls up her sleeves and does the work of a believer. And all I can say in hindsight is, wow. Okay. That changed the world. Lord, uh, I need that in me. Could I have all of that without any difficulty? Could I have what she had, you know, that authority and that, that power, that culture-changing influence without the challenge of it? 
The challenge of it is how you do it. It's when you embrace the inconvenience, you embrace the difficulty, and you say, this is part of it, it just makes me stronger, and it changes the world. I understand the human side of this, I really do, I'm human. And yet I esteem God's outcome higher. Nixing those excuses, but the last time I did that, I hurt my back. I got a heart problem, if my heart rate climbs above 120 beats per minute, I'm a goner. I'm not strong enough to pick that thing up. I've got some other pressing matters to attend to. I don't want to be seen carrying around a dead elephant carcass. Now, to be honest, physically speaking, there are certain things where I would say, yeah, you shouldn't be lifting that. And so, and I wouldn't just say, hey, young girl, you come over here and you're going to have to lift this boulder. Okay, it, yes, physically, there's capacity, there's age restraints. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm talking about not accepting excuses on the interior side of our life. Because this is the same thing we do on the inside. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just not built for that. That really makes me uncomfortable. I just don't enjoy that. I can't tell you how many of us evaluate jobs based on enjoyment factor. Enjoyment has nothing to do with this. This is the kingdom of heaven we're talking about. And ironically, when we do the work of the king joyfully, we actually enjoy it. The enjoyment is a follow in effect. It's not what you wait for. Once I enjoy it, then I'll do it. You serve Jesus out of a joy-filled, grateful, thankful heart, and you have the time of your life. The ask. Let's just do a quick med meditation on what God himself says about asking him, which is the hard labor. Ask, and it shall be given you. And all things, and this is Matthew 7, 7, and this is Matthew 21, 22, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. Here's John eleven twenty two. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Here's John 14, 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 16. And if you shall, no, I'm sorry, John 14, 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. John 16, 23. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. John 16, 24. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Jesus says, ask. Ask. But I mean, the devil's like blocking the way. I don't know how to get my job done. Ask. Ask for him to be removed. This is the work of the kingdom of heaven, and it is hard work. Like getting a dead elephant carcass out from under the stage type of work. It isn't clear how you're going to get a grip on it. As it says in Romans 8, we don't even know exactly how we're supposed to pray. And that's precisely what it's like moving some of this stuff. It's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. He says, but start. Take the step. Trust me. I will give you wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, just ask. I'll give it to you. I'll show you how to move a dead elephant carcass out from underneath the stage. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I could testify to this, guys. Jesus says, ask, 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 ask. I will answer, I will answer, I will answer, I will answer. It's a guaranteed slam dunk right there. That should be enough for us. And then Paul adds this incredible luster to it all. 
And he says, you know what? You can ask and you can ask and you ask. God will do, he will do, he'll do. In fact, he'll do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. He does. We have our little ask, God has his big answer. We have our little ask and we think we know what God's after. It's like, oh, I see where he's going with this. Eh. He always goes beyond. Sometimes it seems like he's not answering. It's like, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering? Oh, he's answering. He's just answering at a higher level. He's doing, as I always say, he's frying bigger fish than what you think in your little ask. But he is always doing exceeding abundantly above. So who are we asking? We're not asking each other, saying, hey, could you pull this off? Uh, You see, Jesus asks us to ask him, or in this case, ask the Father. So who are we asking? The one who asks us to ask and promises that he will answer if we do ask. That's a pretty good basis, guys. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Why can we ask? Well, it's because he has made a way under the throne of grace. And you notice that way is capitalized? That way is Jesus. Where the asking is made and the answers are found. So Jesus is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians is going to clarify to us that we, when we are in Christ by faith, are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So our position spiritually is in Jesus in a heavenly place at the right hand of the Father. And so when we pray, how do we pray? We pray in that position. It's called in the name of Jesus. We pray because of our faith in Jesus and our position in Jesus, we have an asking position. And we can ask the Father in the name of Jesus, and it's a slam dunk guarantee Jesus answers. God hears our prayers. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The authority of the believer. There is nothing in your own home that you don't have the spiritual muscle to lift, move, and get out of there. So I want you to think about this. I'm typically dealing with other people's homes, if you will, talking about their bodies, their marriages, their families. And there's a lot of heavy stuff in the basement, a lot of stuff that's rather intimidating to think of moving. It's like, oh, wow, how'd you get that down there? Oh, well, we need to get that out? And that's like the business of the church right there. That's what we do all the time. And yet there is nothing in your own home right now. I don't care how heavy it may seem. Something that's in that basement and you're just like, I wish I could just close the door and ignore it but you need to get it out. It's like radioactive. It's like a mold that's leaching into your home. And you need to get this stuff out, but oh, wow, it's so overwhelming to think about it. Here's where you roll up your spiritual shirt sleeves and you say, all right, it's time. Let's deal with this. There is nothing in your own home that you don't have the spiritual muscle to lift, move, and get out of there. 
You have been supplied the authority, the power, and the strength to spadazzo, to really do it. Matthew 18, 18 through 19. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that, you, that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We have great authority. The weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, they're mighty, to the pulling down of strongholds. We have been given everything we need to win this thing. This is just a fresh reminder of it. Everything I'm saying, we all know. But many of us are hearing and currently not doing. And that's where I want us to flip the switch. I want us to go from not just hearing, knowing what we ought to do and not doing it, but actually just doing it. And doing it with gusto. Doing it with oomph. Taking it up a notch. So if you're in passivity mode, you know, where it's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, devil in the way. Yeah, big you know, grand piano of great, you know, Aunt Martha down in the basement. Oh, I don't know what to do with that. You know, these things that just become stationary in our life and block the way. If you're, pass- if you're passive, then you need to notch it up. You need to go up the rungs. Now, you could go up to dutiful maintenance where you just take care of everything. Okay, let's clean this out. Now let's just maintain. However, God wants us to move all the way to authoritative management, one of the great words, uh, you know, egretea, in the, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, so self-control is typically how it's translated, but certain translations would say temperance. Both are really good in how they could be articulated, but I look at it as a boxing ring. And a boxing ring is like your life, and the devil rules it. You know, the big flesh comes in there, he's like seven foot tall. Maybe let's make him 12 foot tall. He's 12 foot tall, and he's like 900 pounds, Okay. That's a big monster, right? And you're this little teeny guy, you know, three foot tall, you know, and you don't even have boxing gloves. And he comes up and, you know, you're like, hey, get out. And he goes, and knocks you down. You know, you have no hope overtaking this ring. And then Jesus goes, and lands in in your ring. And he, he sets you right in front of him. And then you see the flesh turn white as a sheet. And what Jesus says is, says, knock him out. You're like, I don't have the power. So he says, take my arm. And he has this big, meaty fist, right? And he says, swing it. And what we do is we take the big, mighty mitt of Jesus and we go, take that enemy. That's how we clear the ring. You see, the enemy can't stay here when Jesus lands in our ring. But we need to exert the authority of Jesus over that ring. And that's actually what self-control is. Self-control is to take the authority that Jesus Christ has given us and exert it over our boxing ring. Knock him into the stands. Now, when you knock the enemy into the stands, you know the first thing he's going to do? He has those Tweety Birds above his head. like, doo 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 you know, because it's sort of cartoony, right? And then he like, comes back, and he's looking for the moment when we get distracted, and we start to lose our game, we stop exercising, you know, those, uh, you know, montage scenes, the training montage scenes in movies. We stop training and we get a little round around the middle and we start to lose our edge, our athletic edge. And then he's, he's going to make his move again. He's going to try and step into the ring. The moment he tries to step in, we have something known as agritea. Remember self-control? It's also called temperance, which is almost like a temperature-controlled thing. It goes, it's like an alarm system in our soul when the enemy begins to move into our life. If we get too hot, 
and too warm towards the world or too cold towards God, and it starts to give off an alarm system. The enemy starts to move in, and and that might be what you're feeling this morning or hearing this morning. You recognize the enemy's trying to make a move. He's trying to get you soft. He's trying to convince you that it's okay that he moves back in, that he takes just this corner of the ring. And so you freshly exert the big, meaty punch of Jesus and knock him out afresh. Spudazo. Do it. Actually engage in this spiritual battle. Do not sit there and stare at the enemy. Don't just try and dust the corners of your mat. Keep them out of there. Control this ring in the authority of Jesus Christ. He has no right to be here. And so you do that for your own ring, and then you'll see clearly to help people with their ring. So you can help move dead elephant carcasses out of other people's rings too, because you're now seeing clearly in yours. Let's do some heavy lifting. Because there are a few busted pianos, rat-infested wardrobes, rotted dressers, and dead elephant carcasses to start moving out of the house. Welcome to a dying world. We have been given an assignment in the authority of Jesus Christ to start moving things. But we need to allow Jesus to start here, then in our homes, our families, then in our church. Then imagine if all of us are getting good at this moving thing. We can go into this world and change it. Father, we need you to bring application to our lives individually. And I pray you would do that. I pray that you would show us what is on your heart. I pray that you would convict us where we need conviction. I pray that you would single out different things in our life that need to be addressed, where we need to exert the authority of Jesus Christ and clear the ring. Lord, where we have justified and we've tried to excuse ourselves, I pray, Lord, that we would no longer do that, but that we would humble ourselves and repent, and we would engage in this battle, and we would begin to do the heavy lifting. Lord, that you would make us a praying church, not a church that esteems prayer and understands the value of prayer and reasonably concludes, rightly, theologically, thinks about prayer, but one that prays, and prays with oomph, gusto, might when we pray. Lord, we are the body of Christ, and we want to show forth the King of kings and the Lord of lords in and through our actions, our behavior, the words we speak, the lives we live. This is in the name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.